My name is Michael. I am so glad you guys are here with us today. Um, here's what we're about. Uh, we are about being very genuine, very authentic, and we want to actually put tools in your tool belt on how to walk with Jesus yourself. Yeah? It, it isn't about the gathering. I mean, the gathering is good and the celebration is good. This is amazing. But we actually want to equip you Monday through Saturday or whatever it is to walk with him out there, to know him, to become acquainted with his presence, and then to have tools in your tool belt to even understand the word, to begin to engage him in worship. Um, and even that little thing I just did, I'd call that a breath prayer. It's, Lord Jesus, would you meet me? You can say anything. But sometimes, you know, you're anxious and you're upset or you're angry or you're frustrated and you just need to pull your little car over on the side of the road and you need to put it in the park and you need to say, Lord Jesus, <laughs> would you meet me and would you forgive me and would you fill me? Sometimes you just need to do that. And if you've never done that, you might need to put it into your regular repertoire of tools in your tool belt on how to walk with Jesus. Yeah? yeah. Okay, come on. So we are in Exodus 5. Um, I totally threw you in the deep end last week. Um, I think most of you hung with me through it, but we were definitely in the deep end. This is another, um, it's, a, it's a big thing to sort of get our, our arms around. We're actually, we're, we're talking about dealing with failure or overcoming failure, and we're going to look at some failure in the life of Moses. Oh my goodness. So where I want to start is actually Acts uh, 2. So put your, if you've got a paper Bible, put your finger in Exodus 5, because that's where we're headed. Um, but we're going to start with one little verse in Acts 2. Um, but before I get that, uh, go there, where I'm just going to tell you a funny little thing that happened this week, just because we need to laugh again, okay? I don't do this very often. But, um, so I've been away from the gym since um, COVID happened. And I have my gym membership frozen. Well, lo and behold, I looked at my credit card statement, and they started charging me again. So I thought, oh, I need to go back. I need to get my money's worth. So I went to the gym, and I was there, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm feeling um, a, a little squidgy because I hadn't been at the gym in a while. And, and let, I've got news for you. No matter how fit you are or unfit you are, you just always feel a little squidgy. Just the way it is. It's like, it's like self-talk, right? I don't know, but that's the way it is. So anyway, so I'm at the gym, and uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to do arms. So there's this pull-up machine, and you do, you do pull-ups like this, and then you do pull-ups uh, like this, and then you do pull-ups like this. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do uh, sets of four. I can't do any more than four, but I'm going to try to do uh, six sets. So I'm in there, and there is this, um, I mean, he is a beefcake. I mean, just like this stacked guy, and he's got a beard. I cannot tell how old he is. I have no idea. Um, but I'm like, uh, hey, um, can I uh, get a set in between you know, your sets? And he's just repping this thing out. And then at the end of his rep sets, he goes up, and then he goes, Hoo! and then he starts doing dips on top of the bar. And I am like, I mean, I am so, <laughs> I am embarrassed, and I am like, oh, my goodness. I can barely, I'm struggling on my, like, third one. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so I get down from my second set, and this is what he says. You know? I hope when I'm your age, <laughs> I can still do pull-ups. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I'm 40. And I was like, oh gosh, here it is. So <laughs> I love to surf. And in, in the surfing world, there's this brand called Old Guys Rule. And I, I've kind of got it on, I mean, it's this great brand. It's like old school and longboard, and it's just, like, it's, it's such a good brand. And it's like age 65 on my calendar is when I'm going to start wearing old guys rule stuff. You know, I can't wait. I'm going to wear old guys rule, my hat and my shirt. And he said that when I'm your age. <laughs> 
he said, I have friends younger than me, and they can't even do pull-ups. And so I stepped back up to the bar. And <laughs> okay, sorry, I had to laugh. And uh, how many of you know it's good to laugh? It's good not to take yourself too seriously. So we had a good laugh, and I looked back at the guy and said, well, when you're my age, I hope you can do pull-ups like me too. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Old guy's rule. So if you're an old guy, come on. All right. Come on, Don. I see that. Okay, we're heading to Exodus 5. We're going to go by way of Acts 2. I'm going to read one verse, 23. This is the Apostle Peter who is preaching. Um, the Apostle Peter is preaching uh, Pentecost, so the Holy Spirit has just broken out on his people. There's this transition in history because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament comes on people for task or purpose. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament actually comes in people. That's right, he fills us. It's the infilling power and presence um, of the Holy Spirit. So this is what the Apostle Peter says in Acts 2, verse 23. This man, Jesus... Uh, was handed over to you, he's talking to the religious people, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. I want you to say that with me. God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, so here's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about Moses' failure, but I want you to understand something um, unequivocally as we head to Exodus 5. Our failure is always parked solidly between God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So here, here's what I'm saying by that. You know, can we make choices in our life that train wreck God's, you know, desired will? Yeah, you can. We, we, we can do things. But I also want you to rest in the sovereignty of God because God has a deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you're not going to wreck God's ultimate plan and foreknowledge no matter what you do or don't do. Isn't that good news? Okay, so, so God is, he has this deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and it is unfolding and unfurling, and then our freedom happens in the context of that sovereignty, yeah? yeah. So, do men and women have free will? Yeah. Yes. Is God sovereign? Yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. So, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at um, a, a massive failure in Moses' life that you may have not even known was failure, but we're going to look at it, we're going to dig on it, we're going to make some applications, and we're even going to look at the way, we're going to attempt to look at the way and unpack the way God responds to it, because God's just not all that intimidated by how you're thinking of him, even if it's ugly, or what you're saying to him, even if it's ugly, um, or the size and magnitude of your failure. And if you're like me, that's good news. Come on, Venus. Yeah, I hear it over there. All right. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> um, we're in chapter 5. Um, I'm dancing through the scriptures today. Hopefully you're scrolling on your phone or flipping in your paper Bible. Okay, we're going to go to verse 22 and 23, and then we're going to go back to 5.1, because you can't understand what's happening in 5.1 without reading 22 and 23. I'm being confusing today, aren't I, Paul? A little bit. Okay, here, let's go. All right, uh, so Exodus 5, um, 22. Moses returned to the Lord. Returned in, um, in Hebrew is shub. Everybody say shub. That means repented. Repented. So it says Moses repented to the Lord. Moses returned to the Lord. And he said, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? So the question you should be asking at this moment is what did Moses repent of? Let's find out. Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Do y'all talk to God like that? If you don't, you should, because he already knows what's in your heart. Come on, okay. 
is this why you sent me? I mean, Moses is totally exasperated. Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. Here it is. And you have not rescued your people at all. I mean, we got a good fit being pitched. We have a, um, a little guy named Ezra. Um, and, and if we correct Ezra, this is my Abby sitting over here. If we correct um, Ezra, he's 16 months old. Uh, he, he runs over and he'll bang his head on something. Or, or if we even tell him no, if there's anything, he just wants it his way. It, oh, it reminds me a little bit of what Moses is saying here. And I'll, I'll sort of un, unfold that as, as we go along. But here's what you need to know going into chapter 5, is at the end of chapter 5, Moses does what? Repents. What's the Hebrew word? Shub. He returns. It means he returns in repentance to God. So now as we we go back to the beginning of chapter 5, it's what in the world did Moses do that he needed to repent of? Are you ready? Okay, let's read the beginning of chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Verse 2. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Uh, And by the way, we take this verse 2 as almost like an insult, but I think it could actually be read like an incredulous Pharaoh. Pharaoh thinks he's God, right? And so these guys just rolled in and said, no, 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 God said you need to let these people go. And Pharaoh's like, who's the Lord? That I should obey him or let Israel go. I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Verse 3, Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues and the sword. Okay. Now, keep your finger in chapter 5. And here's what I want to do. This is what Moses actually did. This is what he said. Now let's look at what God told him to do. Yeah? All right, flip your... If you're in, in a paper Bible, flip it back one page, chapter 3. Verse, if I can find it, 18. So this is God speaking, and he's speaking, anybody remember where? At the burning bush. They're hanging out in the desert. A bush is on fire. Uh, the angel of the Lord, which is King Jesus, before he was born, is speaking out of a burning bush to Moses. And here is what he is saying to Moses. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then he says, then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him. Okay, so who's Moses supposed to take? Oh, okay, let's go back to chapter 5. Go back, flip over. If you're scrolling, scroll back or forward. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said... What do we got? Who'd God say to take? He said to take Moses and Aaron and the elders. Then you, meaning Moses and Aaron and the elders, are to go to the king of Egypt and to say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So the first thing Moses does is he takes the wrong group. Now, what's uh, interesting to me is we've gone through, if you've been here the last few weeks and you've been kind of watching this um, progression, you have Moses, the 40-year-old, who was arrogant and self-righteous and thought he was God's gift to all humanity, and he tried to do what God had called him to do in a sinful, fleshly state, and by doing so, he killed an Egyptian, right? Some of you remember that. If you don't, you can go back and listen to it. 
Um, but we've now had 40 years in the desert where God was humbling um, and probably breaking a man. And how many of you know that God can do more with a man or a woman in the backside of a desert when they are all alone and nobody else is there than he can do with all the splendor and glory of Egypt? If you feel like you're in a desert today, I've got good news for you. God's probably working on things that you can't even recognize. You might need to get up tomorrow and say, Lord, thank you for whatever it is that I'm struggling with because I trust that you are using it to shape and forge me for what you've called me to in the days ahead. Okay, so <clears throat> here's Moses at 80, and you would have thought that by the time Moses was 80 and he's been broken to this degree, that he is now ready to listen to the Lord and to obey what he says, right? But I think what we see here again is this tendency in Moses um, to run ahead. I resonate. I resonate. So let's keep going. So the first thing is Moses takes the wrong group. Now, go back to 3, chapter 18. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. What's he to say? The Lord, the God of the... All right, now let's see what Moses said. Chapter 5. This is what the Lord, the God of... Israel. Now, very subtle here, and you wouldn't know this unless you dug into the original language, and then you wouldn't even know it unless you understood uh, Pharaoh's vernacular, but this is offensive to Pharaoh. So God of the Hebrews is something that Pharaoh could have digested, he could have dealt with, but when he said the God of Israel, it's, it's, it's sort of establishing in front of the eyes of Pharaoh that this is, um, this is a country, this is a country that's going to rise up and overtake you, this is a country that I'm sending out, not just a, an ethnic group or a people group. So it's a, it's a self-elevation. So it's fascinating to me that God appears to be telling Moses in 3.18 that you're supposed to go in... Um, almost uh, with a corporate approach, with some gentleness, with some understandable terminology, um, almost and even make a moderate and possibly even limited request, let us go into the wilderness and sacrifice, you know, just for how many days? Three days. This is not a... And yet, you get Moses who seems to be going in and he's just going to go for it all, right? He's like, oh, okay, I got it, God. Let me handle it for you, right? I know what I'm going to do. I'll make this happen. Okay, so... Where are we? Back to 3.18. The elders of Israel listen to you, then you and the elders. So the first thing he did is he took the wrong group. Okay. Second thing he did is he actually said the wrong thing. He used the wrong terminology. He, he went in and he said, uh, let, he didn't say the God of the Hebrews, he said the God of Israel. And now it's interesting because um, further on down in chapter 5, verse 3, he then sort of corrects himself and he says the God of the Hebrews. So he backpedals. I think Moses actually recognizes, uh-oh, I've gotten ahead of God. Okay, back to 3.18. So, number one, uh, he takes the wrong group. Number two, he uses the wrong terminology. Um, and then number three, let's see what, let, what, what, where we go from there. Let us take, this is what God is telling Moses to say to Pharaoh, let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. All right, let's see what Moses asks for. So we're at the end of verse 1. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Does he ask for three days? No, he demands total emancipation. I mean, he's like, 
you know, it, it, it would seem, and I can't unpack fully why God suggested that Moses only ask for a three-day festival. But that's what God said. And Moses went in with the wrong group, he said the wrong thing, and then he demanded total national emancipation right from the onset, where it seems that God intended him to go in with some humility, with some, in some terminology that Pharaoh would have understand, with a request that was more reasonable, and yet instead Moses goes in hot and, and says, let my people... Again, he's doing the wrong thing, but he's not doing it in obedience to God. So he's, he's ahead of God, if you will. Um, he's not listening to God. And, and so let's go on and see what happens. I think the fourth thing that we would have to look at here, let's go back to chapter 5. So they hold a festival to me in the wilderness, and then Pharaoh, kind of incredulous here, is like, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't think this is ugly. I think this is truly pre before Pharaoh has really gotten angry and is all hot and bothered, and I think he's truly saying, who is the Lord? I don't know him. Then they said, uh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, take, now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness, I'm in chapter 5, verse 3 now, to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues and with the sword. The next thing, did, did uh, God tell him to tell, go back to 3, verse 18 and 19, did God mention in here that he was to threaten Pharaoh? Uh-uh. So number one, he takes the wrong group. Number two, he uses the wrong terminology. Uh, number three, he makes the wrong um, request. He demands total emancipation, not a three-day journey. Number four, um, he threatens plagues and slaughter. He, he's saying uh, his people, but what he's meaning there in the Hebrew is God's going to bring this on all of us. So he goes in, and he's actually saying everything that God ultimately was going to unfurl for Pharaoh. But, but unfurl is a, um, is a sailing term. Anybody sail? Got a couple sailors. Come on. Okay. So when you, when you let, um, it's, it's more for the front. It's for the front jib more than the main, because the main you hoist. But a, but a front jib, you actually unfurl. So you let those side sheets go, and the wind catches it, and the sail kind of, and you feel the boat go, and lurches forward. It's amazing. And then you turn the engine off, and it's like, oh. But God is unfurling something. And how many of you know that we can actually get ahead of the purpose and plan of God um, if we don't let it unfurl? You can, you can want sort of an instant response, an instant, this is what's happening. And sometimes God actually gives us the end of the story so that we have hope and can persevere through difficulty to make it to the end of the story. But sometimes he doesn't give us the end of the story and he wants you to be faithful in the journey because you'd probably be like Moses and you'd run ahead and make a mess of it. But he trusted Moses and here is what happened. So I think the fifth thing that I would say is Moses took the wrong approach. Moses takes almost a um, totalitarian, um, high-demand approach instead of uh, having contrition and humility and framing it in a way that Pharaoh could understand. So let's continue to uh, read. So I'm now in uh, chapter 5, and I'm in uh, verse 4. So where we are right now is Moses has probably begun to recognize that he needs to, what was that word at the beginning? Repent, which in Hebrew was shub, return to God, return to God. Uh, that is something that in your everyday journey you should assimilate. There's one of those tools in your tool belt. If you don't know how to um, repent <laughs> in an ongoing way, so you repent when you come to Jesus, that's great. And repent is a Bible term that means um, turn from your way and adopt his way. 
It's really simple. It just means turn, forsake your own way, lay it down. That's why I use words like surrendered life or the yielded life, because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm leaving my way and I'm going to go your way. So, so that shub or that return is something. It's just like the breath prayer at the beginning of this, this gathering where I went, Lord Jesus, would you convict us? Lord Jesus, would you fill us? Lord Jesus, would you heal us? But, but that, is a, that is a tool in your tool belt. And if you haven't learned to do that, I want to call you to learn to do that. Because there's, there's uh, two, uh, really three things we're going to pull out of this, is how does Moses deal with his failure? And that's really the essence of, of kind of what we're driving at here this morning, is Moses begins to recognize that he's failed. What does he do? And then I think that can become a roadmap for each of us as believers. So when we realize that we've done something we shouldn't have, we've gotten ahead of God or behind God, um, we've disobeyed, we've gone outside the lines, this becomes um, sort of a roadmap for how do we get right or how do we get, how do we shub, how do we turn from our own way and get back into his way. Does that make sense? All right, so let's keep going. Is it hot in here? I see you. Mike, will you check the air? It should be down on like 70, but it feels like it might not be. I see Karen back there fanning. <laughs> no, it's good. It is hot. All of a sudden, I was like, oh. Okay, uh, so here we are. Uh, chapter 5, we're in verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to Moses, so now Moses and Aaron are standing there, and I'm thinking Moses is feeling a little bit sheepish right now because he's beginning to recognize it's dawned on him that he has done the wrong thing and said the wrong thing. So the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Go back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. Uh, just a little note on that that's probably important to understand. Um, adding, they took clay and they would chop straw and they would mix um, the straw in with the clay. That made the bricks two things. It made them lighter and it made them dry faster. So once they were dry, they could transport them more easily. So it, it, it made their work much easier. So if you don't add straw to the clay, what happens is they're much heavier and they take two or three times as long to dry. So it, it's, just, it's, a, it's kind of a total disaster. And Pharaoh says, they are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for them, verse 9, so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So he's saying lies that Moses and Aaron are telling. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. And the slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required for you each day, just as you have had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers um, they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday and today as before? Okay, verse 15. Now, the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Okay, so let's just think about this for a minute. The Israelite overseers are over who? The Israelites, that's right. So they're like, they've broken down this Israelite nation, the two million people, into small groups, and we don't know how many uh, slaves were underneath an Israelite overseer. But this is fascinating to me because this is so typical um, of not just Old Testament uh, nation of Israel, but this is typical of New Testament church. Okay, so let's look at that. So uh, the overseers are now angry. 
and hurt, right? Who do they go to? Who should they have gone to? Okay, I got two good answers right here. Tony and Karen. Karen says, God. Tony says, I agree with both. When something, when a catastrophe happens, when a problem happens, when something unexpected happens, I think the call should have been, especially to overseers who are over, you know, leading the Israelite people, would be that they would first get together and that they would probably corporately get on their knees and, what's that word? Pray, but then go back to the very beginning, that, that Hebrew word, shub, which means repent and seek the face of God. So the question in this moment and the place that they should have gone was not going to Pharaoh. And in fact, you can probably even look at the people and go, you have this loving, gracious God, this loving, gracious father who is waiting and waiting and waiting to deliver the people. And the people keep refusing to look to him. And they instead, they look to the strength of their own right arm or the strength of what they're doing, or they look to Pharaoh. And you have this God who is waiting and waiting and waiting for people to look to him. Finally, he raises up a deliverer. Moses is 40, and he's ready to deliver the people, right? And God is all right, yes, here we go. And Moses does it himself. And God's like, ah, another 40 years. Now, remember, God's deliberate and, what was that word? I can't even remember. Come on, Acts 2.23. Deliberate uh, plan and foreknowledge. Was the 430 years that they were in slavery outside of God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge? No, but in God's goodness, do I think he offered and intended the Israelites to be delivered sooner? Yes. See the difference? Could Moses potentially, if he had the contrition of heart and the humility of heart um, and, and the, the maybe maturity of heart, probably led the people out at age 40? Possibly. In God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, was he ready? No. Do I think that Moses' sin and his bad choices knocked off course the ultimate plan and foreknowledge of God? Not for a minute. But I want you to begin to grasp and see that you have a God who is a father with such kindness and such love that he didn't say, I'm just going to leave you here for 430 years. He knew in his deliberate plan and foreknowledge that it would be 430 years, but he's giving opportunity for you to come out sooner all along the way. That's the heart of a loving father. And that's the difference between many, uh, how many of us even see God. He, he is not just um, leaving us or abandoning us, but there are things that he knows are not set and ready and in place. And still, after all these 430 years, the Israelite overseers, do they go to God? Nope. Who do they go to? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Do they go to Moses? Nope. Who do they go to? Pharaoh. Come on! This is, this, is the, this is the people of God. This is... This is akin to us today when we take matters into our own hands and try to do it in our own strength, and we don't come together as believers. We don't talk with one another. If somebody hurts your feelings, if Jack offends me, and I don't go and talk to Jack, but instead I go and talk to Tim or Jennifer. See what I'm saying? Facebook, there you go. Social media, come on. I've been signing out of that more and more. I agree. Tell us your name. Tom. I agree, Tom. Okay, so, uh, but you have... Um, you have this, this God who has set certain things and parameters in place, and the people abandon him again and again and again. 
So verse 15, the Israelite overseers go, and they say, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told to make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Go back to my question just a minute ago. Do I think for a minute that God wants his people hurt or beaten? No. His heart is, is to bring them out and to deliver them. And in his deliberate plan and foreknowledge, he knew it would take as long as it took. But he keeps giving opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You can take application and make that um, your own and in your own life. He wants to lead you through and out of the difficult places. But to the degree that you harden your heart and we, we, we choose what we choose, he knows in his deliberate plan and foreknowledge that it's going to take us time. Yeah? Okay, keep going. Verse 17, Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. It's really interesting to me, Pharaoh keeps calling them lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. It's also interesting to me that the overseers even had access to Pharaoh. There's something there, and I, that's very strange. They, they, very odd. Verse 19, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, who'd they go to? Ah, oh, they did it backwards, though. If they would just have gone to Moses and Aaron first, and if somebody would have just had the courage to go, this God is trying, our God, the God of our fathers, is trying to deliver us. Let's get together and... Shub, let's get together and repent. Let's get together and seek his face. Let's get together and ask for his intervention. Let's get together and ask what he's doing here. They found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, did Moses, in the way he handled what God said, make the Israelites more obnoxious? Yes, he did. Drink that. Did Moses make the Israelites more obnoxious because he disobeyed God? Yes. That's true. Did the overseers and the people handle it right? No. No. Not a bit. Now, this is the next two verses that we started with, and then the, the very beginning of chapter 6 is kind of the crescendo of this whole chapter, and it's how Moses deals with failure. Verse 22, Moses returned or shooed to the Lord. And he said, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Angry, right? Is this why you sent me? This is what you intended for me to do? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. I mean, ultimate blame God, right? If you could take anything from those two verses, here's what I want you to take. Be authentic with God. He can handle it. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what's there. You can say things to God that you can't say to anything, any other human that's even alive. Because he already knows what's in your heart. Now, am I suggesting you stay there? No. What am I suggesting you do? Repent. You move through it. But you have to acknowledge it. Abby and I were having a conversation last night, and I said, Abby... I found this thing in my heart and in our lives, and I think I'm really sad, almost depressed over it. The pastor gets depressed. And we began to talk, and I went, yeah, I need to, shoot, I need to repent. 
but I have to acknowledge it before I can do that. You see what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm not suggesting you park in your whatever garbage you're dealing with, but I am suggesting that you, you, you learn and you cultivate a relationship with God where you're fiercely authentic. I often talk about a five-year journal. I'm coming to the end of my five-year journal, so I'm looking at the last four years. This is the type of stuff I put in my five-year journal. Oh, my goodness. The Holy Spirit's convicting me of. And in this five-year journal, I actually begin to see... Um, so what are, what are we in? It was August 1st today. So I actually looked at the last four Augusts, where Michael was, what was happening, what God was speaking. And that, that gives me even a, a, a plan, the days preceding and the days after, that I can sort of look at what's happening. And lo and behold, I, I begin to see um, patterns in my own life. The Holy Spirit uses it frequently because I go, oh my goodness, this is a pattern that I need to repent of. Shub. That's not a bad word, by the way. Christians have made that a just terrible word. We've made it terrible. And you, you, we've made it this thing where you, you like beat people over the head with repent. I mean, there's, it's, um, here's what it is, though. It's this, it's this tender, intimate interaction between you and a loving father where you reunite with him. It, it, it's not a, it's not, he is not angry at you. He, all of God's anger was extinguished on who? Jesus. So it's this tender invitation to realign yourself with him. It's this, it's this beautiful, he's not angry, he's not, he doesn't want to punish you, he doesn't want to break you down. He actually wants you to um, reconnect with him and begin to grasp the depth and breadth of his love. And yet there are times in order to do that that we have to turn from our own ways and agree with him. All right, let's read 6 verse 1, chapter 6 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now, you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. We, uh, I've got a friend that, that comes here sometimes, and he's a, he's a judge. He's not here this morning, but I was having lunch with him, I don't know, a year, two years ago maybe, and he was telling me this story. And in the story, there was a person who came into his courtroom, and he's sitting in his robes, and he's behind his big you know, thing with his gavel, and he's got the bailiff next to him, and this person comes in, and they just start yelling. And ugliness this, and expletive this, and F-bomb that, and blah, 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 blah. And they are just, and he just sits there. Looks at his watch. One minute passes. Two minutes. Three minutes. Four minutes. And finally the person quit. And he looked at him and said, are you finished? This is an are you finished moment. This is God the all-powerful judge, just like that judge, could have had the person arrested, had the person uh, thrown in jail for contempt of court. They could have, he could have done anything he wanted in that moment with this person who was disrespecting him. And yet he sits there until they're done and says, are you finished? This is an are you finished moment. Then the Lord said to Moses, now, are you done doing it your own way? Are you done following your own plan? Are you done not listening to me? Can we get on with my plan, please? It's taken me 80 years to get you to the point where I think you can finally listen to me. Can we get on with the plan to deliver the people? That's what God's sort of saying here to Moses. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will deliver them out of his country. Or out of his country. This is a, um, you know that song, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? Look full in his wonderful face. This is that moment. This is the moment where 
Moses returns and he's, he's turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. This is transformation in the Jesus journey. This is the are you finished. And what I love here is you get a God, does he, uh, we got to read it, but he doesn't shame Moses. He doesn't get angry at Moses. He, he doesn't even really rebuke Moses. He re-reveals himself to Moses. It's amazing. Let's read it. Verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as the, God, as the Lord God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make known to them. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. He's saying, I'm the God that wants to give you a hope. I'm the God that wants to give you the future. I'm the God that wants to take you from the place of pain to a place of blessing. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites. He's saying, I'm not unaware of the pain they're in. I'm not unaware of the disappointment. I'm not unaware of the beatings. I have compassion on what they're going through, in whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And I have remembered my promise or my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you from out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Some of y'all need to like circle this and highlight this and apply this to your own life. I mean, this is such good. This is the heart of God the Father, and it's so almost, we, we read it, and it's almost so abstract, we fail to apply it to our own life. I applied it last night to my life and to Abby's life when I talked to Abby about something I was depressed about, and I went, this is his heart. I'm going to stand on it. My feelings might not like it. My thoughts might not like it, but I'm going to cast all that aside, and I'm going to stand on his promise. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hands to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give you as a possession, I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites. Now, what does that reported mean? What did Moses report to the Israelites? We're reading in between the lines here. Okay, so quick, quick review. God told Moses what to do. Did, did Moses do it? No. Moses went back and repented, shoo, before God. He went back, he got right before God, and then what did he do? Just read it. Let's go back again. Moses reported this to the Israelites. What did he report? Well, God just told him. He probably even reported that he was wrong and repented. That, that, there's, that's probably contained if you kind of look through this. But they did not listen to him. Uh, so now they're saying it did not listen to all the goodness and promises that God was promising because of their discouragement and harsh labor. So if you could, if you could get two things um, from this little text, how do we handle failure? Number one, you run to the Father. We spend so much time hiding our sin and hiding our failure. We spend so much time running away from him. We spend so much time living in our own guilt and our own shame instead of just running right to him, run into his arms. I heard a pastor say the other day, I was listening to something, and this is going to offend some of you, and that's okay if you're offended. Be my guest. Um, the, the pastor actually said, um, if you were arrested for drunk driving on Saturday night, would you go to church on Sunday? Would you? I'd have a hard time. I'd lose my job, probably. <laughs> but if you're not a pastor, okay, go there a second. If you're arrested for drunk driving on Saturday night, would you go to church on Sunday morning? Now, what am I getting at there? Dig on that for a second. 
Church should be a place where we are all able to be open before God and open with one another. And when church becomes a religious establishment, and by religion I mean where you clean up the outside of the cup and you neglect the true matters of the heart, then it becomes a thing where when people who don't look a certain way or act a certain way or smell a certain way come in, you actually shame them and we end up beating up on people instead of welcoming them into the family of God. Church ought to be the place where if you get arrested for drunk driving on Saturday night, you want to go on Sunday morning. Church ought to be that type of place where we can come in and go, I am a busted, broken human, and I don't know what to do about it. And I need help. I need Jesus. I need to shub. I need to repent. I need to return. I need to get right. And that's not just a one-time thing. That becomes a daily rhythm in your life. You've been saved. You're going to be saved. You're going to continue to be saved. You have repented. You will continue to repent. That's how you walk with King Jesus. Because the more of you that gets emptied out and the more of him that you get filled with, it means a life that is full of the joy of God and the happiness of God and the pleasure of God and the blessing of God. And I don't know about you, but that's where I want. And that's also the kind of church I want to be at. I don't care about a religious church where people come in and we beat them over the head with stuff and tell them to change this. And I don't care what you wear or where you've been last night. This ought to be a place where when you're busted and broken, you can come and find the presence and forgiveness and grace of God. That's what church is about. That's what it was instituted for. <laughs> come on, Venus. <laughs> Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. Verse 12, but Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, this is like Moses' big Eeyore moment, you know, that donkey Eeyore and Pooh Bear. <laughs> I do that sometimes. So do you, if you're telling me the truth. Why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? I mean, God's done so much, and that's how Moses is going to respond. Who am I? Now, in uh, chapter 6, we go through uh, verse 13. I'm not going to read it all the way to verse 25. And it's just talking about the, where Moses and Aaron came from. It's a, it's a lineage. And then verse uh, 26, the end of chapter 6, here's what it says. It was this Aaron and Moses... To whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. It's almost like um, what this is, this is, this is another incredulous moment where it's like, it was these busted, broken guys, Moses and Aaron, that God used to bring the Israelites out. If you feel busted and broken today, I got good news for you. That's the kind of people God uses. Amen. That's who he picks. That's who he uses. And once you are emptied sort of of your own ambitions in your own way, and you're willing to stop doing like Moses and do it the way you want to do it, and you want to align and, and yield your life to him, that is what he's looking for. Okay. There's a, um, there's a song I love by a guy named uh, Matt Mayer. I don't know anything about Matt. Anything about I don't even know where he is in the country or in the world, but he's got this song called Run to the Father. And here, here's the lyrics on one of the stanzas. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. 
So I run to the Father again and again. If, my, if I would want my kids to know anything, it's that no matter how bad it is, or no matter how bad a mess they have created, if they will come home, I will walk with them, and together we will clean it up and work it through and take the journey together. That is the heart of this God. I'm not sure where you are this morning, but I want to welcome you to return to the Father again and again. I want to welcome you to Shub, to repent, to yield your life in such a way where you go, Lord, I'm willing to stop doing it my way, and I'm willing to do it your way. He will always honor that. Dwayne and Nicole, why don't you guys come back up? Right before Jesus was betrayed, he sat in an upper room and he would have been reclining at a table with his 12 disciples. And it was right before Judas betrayed him. But at some point in the meal, he took a loaf of bread, perhaps like this one. And he said, This is my body given for you, broken for you. Every time you do this, and when he said every time you do this, he wasn't just talking about communion. He was actually saying every time you eat, remember that you are eating. If you're in Jesus and he's in you, you are eating his body that was broken and given for you. If you're in here and you've never given your life to King Jesus, today may be your day. But he paid it all because you and I couldn't. And then he took a glass, would have been wine, probably red wine. We have grape juice this morning, but he poured it out and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Every time you drink of this, take it in remembrance of me. So he said to take the bread, which represented his body, his flesh, and then he said to take the cup, the juice, or the wine, which represented his blood, and he said, do that in remembrance of, did he say do it in remembrance of you? Did he say do it beating yourself up because of the magnitude of your sin? He said, take this and do it in remembrance of me. See, the, the path has been made to run back to the Father. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how far you've gone or how far you've wandered. He has made a way. And just like he was waiting for Moses, and he said, are you finished? Are you done? In some cases, he is probably waiting for you, saying, are you ready? Are you ready to eat and to drink? Not to your failure, but to my that's a father that loves us.